Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters, and everybody in between. Yes, we are indeed. Um, got quite a, a, a jam-packed full episode this week. Well, I do love jam. I do love jam. And packing. It's a weird one because I thought, oh, I'll cover a number of stories because I normally do. But actually, well, as you'll see, I end up kind of gravitating around one story, but it it should all become clear. I mean, the two things that have driven the episode this week. Firstly, Ben, winter is coming. It is. I don't know about your goose, but it's not getting fat yet, though. No, it's not. I don't know about my goose. Um, (laughs) We covered my waistline last week, yeah. yeah. And the second thing that kind of inspired this episode was I recently re-watched one of my all-time favourite movies, John Carpenter's The Thing. Ah, that's very good, isn't it? I love that film so much. I love John Carpenter all over, but that is very, very good. Yeah, and one of the things that always amazes me is... Ennio Morricone did the soundtrack. Oh, really? It's not very typical him, the soundtrack, either. It's that, you know, that boom, 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 quite kind of yes, dark. Yes, yes. Brilliant, brilliant film. Broody. Yeah. While I was watching the movie, um, which is set at a research station in Antarctica. Yes. And I was, as I'm watching the movie, I'm thinking about the themes. It's kind of isolation, being cut off, abandoned in, I guess, one of the harshest environments on Earth. And it's also got an extraterrestrial being in it. Mm. It's right up our street. It's right up our street. Well, as I was watching it, I started thinking about those themes. And it got me thinking about the many stories and conspiracy theories that are associated with Antarctica. Yeah, there there are. I mean, I guess I associate it with um, things like the Third Man Effect and UFO holes. But is there more to it? Well... I mean, there's so much. I, again, we could have probably done a series oh, wow. on Antarctica and the kind of weird things that go on there. But I thought I would just use one of the main conspiracy theories that's associated with Antarctica. And, you know, maybe it will fit into some of those themes that I just mentioned, the kind of isolation, all that kind sure. of stuff. But before we do that, let's start with some basic facts about Antarctica. Okay. It is the coldest place on Earth, which I guess is not surprising. No. The lowest ever temperature was recorded at the Soviet Vostok station, coming in, Ben, at a mind-boggling minus 89.2 degrees Celsius. Jeez, that's going to be pretty much like those, those videos you see of people throwing hot water in the air and it freezing. Yeah, I'm not sure if you can even breathe the air at that temperature. I would not have thought so. That's crazy. And for our American listeners, that's minus 128.6 in Fahrenheit. And the average temperature of a British house now that <laughs> yeah. gas prices have gone <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. Now, the ice sheet that covers it uh, can be over two miles. That's 3.5 kilometres in thickness meaning it contains over 60% of the world's fresh water. Oh, yeah, of course it's fresh, yes. that would, Yeah, OK, yeah. that makes sense. I, I never think of it as fresh water, you know, because it's, the, yeah, it just the, the optical illusion of the sea being there, of course it's fresh, yes. Yeah, the glacier stuff, yeah. Yes, yes, of course. But despite all that water, it is regarded as the world's largest desert. Oh, yeah, right, because it hardly ever well, snows, rains. Yeah, very little precipitation. That's the word. It making it the driest continent on the planet, ironically. Is it? Gosh. Yeah. It, Antarctica is the only continent without a native human 
population. Yeah. The researchers and scientists who have set up temporary home there, if you stay through the winter, they will experience six months of total darkness. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard this next one, but I'd love to see it. It said, it says that near the McMurdo Valley, McMurdo Valley, you can catch a glimpse of a strange phenomenon known as blood falls, which is where iron-rich water flows from the glacier, making it look like blood is flowing from the ice. That is um, that's a creepy but weird, cool fact. It'd be good to see that, wouldn't it? Can you imagine yeah, the really? first person who came across that? Yeah, that yeah. Must have just been like, what? What the hell is that? I think it's common knowledge that no one really owns Antarctica, although seven countries yeah. have made claims over the territory or certain areas of it, including Argentina, Australia, Chile, France, New Zealand, Norway, and the UK. But the US and other countries don't recognise those claims. Or do they not? No. Do the US have a claim to it? No. Don't they? No. Oh. I mean, they've got bases and stuff there, but no official claim, as far oh. as I can tell. Well, those are some basic facts. The tip of the iceberg, so to speak. But <laughs> oh. Should we delve beneath the surface to find out what Antarctica might be hiding? You've melted my heart. The high. Now, one of the most prevalent and, I guess, weirdest conspiracy theories involving Antarctica involves Nazis, UFOs, reptilian aliens and secret bases. I don't need to know any more. I think I can imagine the story. <laughs> reptilian aliens, they're the worst aliens. Yeah, they're always... I, I always surprises me, the reptilian a- aliens. I always think that's got to be influenced by the original series of V. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, the conspiracy theory goes something like this. Just before the start of World War II, the Nazis went to Antarctica for a site to set up a submarine base. While searching for the right location, they came across some ice caves where they met a race of reptilian aliens with advanced technology. Who were living in the ice caves? Who were living in the ice caves. When the Nazis lost the war, Hitler and other high-ranking Nazis fled Germany in two submarines and went to Antarctica. I assume to hide out with these alien reptilian beings. That Hitler, he's taken that submarine to almost every place in the world. Every area in the world, yeah. Well, the conspiracy continues. The Americans went looking for Hitler's base in Antarctica in a mission called Operation High Jump. Oh, I've heard of that. So they believed they had one. Well, this is the conspiracy. The mission was under the command of Admiral Richard E. Byrd and the theory goes on to claim that he did discover the secret Nazi alien base in 1946 or 1947. Richard E. Byrd, Dickie Byrd. Dickie Byrd. But the Americans came under attack from Nazi UFOs and at least one US ship was destroyed. Wait, Nazi UFOs? Yes. Sorry, okay, carry on. (laughs) Yeah, no, that is it, that somehow they kind of did a bit of a deal with the reptilian aliens for the tech or worked with them to develop UFOs that became, you know, basically Nazi UFOs. And at least one US ship was destroyed and the American fleet had to retreat. Wowzers. The conspiracy goes on. The British then had a crack at destroying the Nazi bases, sending in the SAS in a secret mission called... Operation Tabarin. They too failed. The Americans then went back a few years later in 1958. This time, it's kind of like the plot, similar to the movie Aliens, 
deciding the only way they could deal with the situation was to nuke the secret base. Oh, my God. So nobody noticed that then? Yeah. They dropped atomic bombs, wiping out the base, the Nazis living there, and I guess presumably the reptilian aliens who were helping the Nazis. That's collateral damage. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the executive summary of the theory. I mean, there is a lot more detail, but that gives you the the bare bones of what was supposed to have happened. So I presume there's a nub of truth here somewhere. Well, that's a really good point, because that was my next thing. I thought, yeah, there's so much to pick apart there. I thought, let me go back and see if some or any of these parts of the story are true, or at least documented as true. So let's start with that. So there was a Nazi expedition to Antarctica in the late 1930s. It's detailed in a book called The Third Reich in Antarctica, The German Antarctic Expedition of 1938 to 1939. It was written by two historians, Cornelia Ludeck and Colin Summerhays. Do you want to know what the reason for this expedition was, Ben? (laughs) Go on. You're never going to guess. Okay. Margarine. What? Wait, hang on, let me try guess. They're going after some sort of plentiful fish, which is oily, that they can turn into spread? Quite close. Oh. So in order to prepare for the war, the Nazis developed what was known as the German Fat Plan. (laughs) (laughs) It was a plan to make sure that Germans had a plentiful supply of, among other things, butter, milk, cream... And margarine, which apparently they consumed quite a lot of. Now, at the time, not now, but at the time, one of the main ingredients of margarine was whale oil. Oh. So you were were close. It was more mammal-based than fish-based, but it was kind of, you know, sea. Mm, Mammal spread. So basically the Germans imported whale oil from countries like Norway and basically wanted to be self-sufficient. So the primary focus of the Nazi mission to Antarctica was basically to find a good location to set up a base for whaling operations. And they did some other scientific and geological surveys along the way, but I couldn't find any mention of encounters with reptilian aliens, in the official record at least. (laughs) Which is presumably where you get Marmite from. Um, (laughs) Very peculiar. Okay. I mean, the going to establish a whaling outpost, that makes a lot of sense. I get that. It does make a lot of sense, especially yeah. if you consume a lot of margarine, which was made with whale oil at the time. I think it's made with vegetable oil now, if anyone's wondering. <laughs> they uh, don't promote the whale in it, if it is. No, exactly. They don't mention the whale. <laughs> they're, they're whaley past. The Vitalite Sun Man has never, ever said <laughs> yeah. that. Okay. yeah. yeah. So another part of the conspiracy is that the Americans sent a fleet between 1946 and 1947 to Antarctica in order to destroy the Nazi base, but were beaten back by the Nazi UFOs, the American mission being called Operation High Jump. I see, I see. Well, there was an American mission to Antarctica in 1946 called Operation High Jump. Maybe that's the one I've heard of then. Yeah, it was supported by a large naval fleet... And Operation High Jump was indeed led by Admiral Richard E. Byrd and was driven, at least officially, not by a fear of Nazi extraterrestrial coalitions, but a more earthbound alien invasion, as Admiral Byrd himself pointed out in an interview in 1947. The article says, 
Admiral Richard E. Byrd warned today that the United States should adopt measures of protection against the possibility of an invasion of the country by hostile planes coming from the polar regions. Uh-huh. The Admiral explained that he was not trying to scare anyone, but the cruel reality is that in the case of new war, the United States could be attacked by planes flying over one or both poles. The statement was made as part of a recapitulation of his own polar experience in an exclusive interview with international news services. Talking about his recently completed expedition, Admiral Byrd said the most important result of his observations and discoveries is the potential effect that they have in relation to the security of the United States. The fantastic speed with which the world is shrinking, recalled the Admiral, is one of the most important lessons learned during his recent Antarctic explorations. I have to warn my compatriots that the time has ended when we were able to take refuge in our isolation and rely on the certainty that the distances, the oceans and the poles were a guarantee of safety. There, that must have been... It's quite a realisation, isn't it, for America in that time? Yeah, definitely. And, well, I guess as well, in, if you go the other side to the North Pole, the kind of the closeness to Russia as well. Absolutely. There was a fear of invasion or threat, but this fear wasn't, didn't seem extraterrestrial in nature, but it was about technology advancing and that the polar regions could be used, I guess, as a kind of shortcut for an attack on the US. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, you know, if you think about it from the conspiracy theorist point of view, I guess they'd say that the Admiral's words were a coded admission to this Nazi stroke reptilian alien threat, <laughs> wouldn't you? I mean, highly coded. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Admiral Byrd returned to Antarctica in 1955 as part of a a mission called Operation Deep Freeze, which was to establish permanent Antarctic bases. He died at his home in 1957 of a heart condition. So if we return to the conspiracy theory, after Admiral Byrd's first mission to Antarctica in 1946, you know the one, Ben, where the US fleet retreated from the Nazi-controlled UFOs. (laughs) Yes, I remember. Yeah. The British then sent in the SAS to try and destroy the Nazi secret base in an operation known as Operation Tabarin, and they too were unsuccessful. Well, let's dig into the recorded facts on this one. Well, there was a top-secret British government mission to Antarctica called Operation Tabarin. How do you say? Is that T-A-B? T-A-B-A-R-I-N, Tabarin. Oh, okay. Now, the expedition was put together and led by James Marr, Mm-hmm. a marine zoologist, in 1943. Its objective, to prevent raiding vessels and to gather meteorological data for Allied shipping in the South Atlantic. OK. Now, All straight so far. Now, after a gruelling journey, delays and setbacks, the mission successfully set up three bases in Antarctica and Britain's first permanent scientific research station. OK. We should probably still there today. Yeah, no aliens, though, that I could find. Okay. But I guess the one thing that did strike me, it is slightly odd the man leading the mission was a marine biologist. Mm. Mm, yes. So I did a bit more digging into him. He kind of was a veteran of Arctic expeditions. I think he'd been on some expedition with Shackleton and various other people. So, you know, maybe it makes more sense. But it did kind of stick out as a bit of a weird one for... 
you know, a military mission to have a marine bio, a zoologist in charge. But there you go. Mm. Now, the finally, the conspiracy claims the Americans dropped an atomic bomb destroying the Nazi alien Antarctica base in 1958. Now, unsurprisingly, Ben, I couldn't find any recorded <laughs> information of this event. No. However, oh, interestingly, what became known as the Antarctic Treaty came into being on the 1st of December 1959, so just a year after the conspiracy claims the bomb was dropped. That's the treaty that says no warfare on the... The treaty states that any nuclear explosion in Antarctica and the disposal there of radioactive waste material shall be prohibited. So, I guess the history books would say that's just because the superpowers are testing weapons everywhere and, yeah, like just destroying Bikini Atoll and stuff like that. Yeah, and well, the treaty was signed initially. I know more people have signed it now, but originally it was signed by Argentina, Australia, Belgium, Chile. France, New Zealand, Norway, South Africa, the UK, the United States, and the USSR. Okay, okay, so... So I guess if you're a believer in the conspiracy, you might say the timing of this treaty is no coincidence. No. A sceptic, I guess, would say the bomb-dropping story was maybe backward-engineered to make it fit with the timing of the treaty. Kind of, it's a nice narrative, right? But surely international monitoring of, like, Airborne radioactivity and stuff would tell us. Yes, although uh, that was my first thought. But I th- I can't remember where, but I think there was some information recently, maybe it was in Russia, about nuclear tests that people weren't aware of. Oh, okay. So that Back at happened. that time, it, you know, I think it has happened. So I think now, absolutely, with kind of modern technology, but, you know, back in the fifth, 1950s, maybe, maybe not. So basically, sort of 58, so that's 13 years after the end of the Second World War. Yeah. They're finally nailed. Yeah. And then we'd have to cover that up because there's going to be... Surely there'll be signs. Yeah. I mean, there's dead aliens for a start. Yeah. And a dead Hitler. Yeah. Well, at this point, Ben, in my research, I may be connected to the fact that watching the movie The Thing kicked all of this off. You decided to have a drink. (laughs) Yeah. I started to think that the conspiracy theory feels more like the plot from a film, something like an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like, yeah. So I then started to think, actually, if you compare it to a classical formula or story structure that they use to make movies, the conspiracy theory does follow what is known as a four-act structure. In uh, a four-act structure for making a movie or a movie script... Act one is always called the setup. So, in this case, the Nazis on an expedition to Antarctica come across alien beings with advanced tech in an ice cave. Yeah. That's a good setup, right? Absolutely, it is. Act two is known as the rising action. Again, in the conspiracy, the Nazis form an alliance with the aliens, gain access to out of this world technology, set up a base which the Allies then get wind of. Right. Rising action, right? Yeah. Act three in a movie script structure is known as the crisis. So this is the point in the movie where everything seems lost. So if you take it in terms of the conspiracy, the Americans, followed by the British, 
try and destroy the base, but have to retreat due to being attacked and outgunned by the Nazi alien UFOs. In Jurassic terms, it's when the T-Rex eats the guy on the toilet. Correct, yeah. Got yeah, it. It's all out of control. Now, the final act is known as The Resolution, and as the title suggests, it all comes good in the end, usually. Mm-hmm. So in the case of the conspiracy, the Americans return, destroying the base, wiping out the Nazis and the aliens with an atomic bomb. And I find all that a little too convenient. It Well... As if someone had put the whole conspiracy together like a film script, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the sort of thing that... Um, yeah, I would imagine... Yeah, I would imagine somebody making... Like, trying to do big budget but not getting quite enough money and it being a bit of a flop, but it was should have been a good idea. It, it's a bit like... And, and I think using some established facts and historical secret missions... And going to town, developing that out to into an out-of-this-world story kind of ties in to it as well. It's a bit like I've been I've been watching For All Mankind on oh. Apple, you know, which is this reinvention of the space race, but, yeah, things have gone differently. I've mentioned it on the podcast before with, you know, the Russians being... I won't do any spoilers, but, you know, the Russians being the first to land on the moon and stuff like that. I guess believers in the conspiracy would say that it's the other way round. The published facts I quoted are part of the cover-up, disinformation to hide the real truth. But, you know, it all makes sense if you put the pieces together. That's the other way of looking at it. But I was struck with it is the perfect four-act structure for a movie script. It is. I wonder whether this all just comes... I mean, like I say, a starting point. Is it because... They've sort of found the Nazi bell structure, which has <clears throat> a lot of um, weird stories around it, and then people just embellish and embellish and embellish. Yeah, and then maybe go back and look at other facts and re- you know reverse engineer them, possibly. I tried to do a bit of research, even getting in ChatGBT involved, of when this conspiracy first came to light, but there doesn't seem to be a clear date when it started that I could find. So if anyone out there knows, I'd really be interested in knowing. Um, Well, Ben, at this point in my research, I thought I'd put the whole Nazi UFO conspiracy to bed, and I started to look for other weird accounts from Antarctica. But the very next story I came across, you know, pull me right back in. Oh, no. (laughs) It was a snippet from an article in... The APRO Bulletin, so APRO standing for Aerial Phenomena Research Organisation. Okay. The title of the article was 1964 Antarctica UFO Report. So earlier I mentioned that Admiral Byrd returned to the Antarctic in 1955 in a mission called Operation Deep Freeze. Well, the UFO encounter that I'm going to talk about happened to an American crew in a later deep freeze mission. And Ben, as the Americans might say, this story's a bit of a doozy. (laughs) (laughs) So the article says, a former member of the US Coast Guard has come forward with two very unusual UFO experiences he had while on duty in Antarctica. Although both sightings occurred more than 15 years ago, the nature of the encounters makes them poignant even a decade and a half later. The witness, who we'll call Mr X of California, 
was on duty on the South Pole as part of Operation Deep Freeze. Mr X's first sighting occurred in the early morning hours on April 20th, 1964. He, along with five other crewmen, were on board a C-130 inbound to the naval base at McMurdo Sound in Antarctica. They were on the last leg of what he termed a turnaround, a flight that originated at McMurdo, round to Christchurch in New Zealand to pick up supplies and equipment, then straight back to McMurdo, a turnaround. I see, I see. Mr X stated that the flight seemed normal and that their only company was a Russian aircraft that was flying parallel with them about five miles off their starboard wing and that they had him on radar for some time. He related that even though the Russian installations in Antarctica were several hundred miles away from McMurdo, because of the prevailing winds, most incoming aircraft used the same corridor in the Antarctic. Suddenly, the starboard watch called out that he had a series of UFOs in view above and to the right of the aircraft, approaching them at about 400 knots, which is about 740 miles an hour. Is it really? God. Yeah. Now, unlike the Russian aircraft, the UFO was not visible on radar. The object then slowed to about the same speed as the aircraft, which was doing about 160 to 190 knots, somewhere, you know, around 300 miles per hour. Right. And was travelling at an altitude of 35,000 feet. At first, only the starboard watch was able to see the UFOs. The pilot then dipped the right wing in order to get a look at the objects, which were tailing his plane. Mr X said that when this occurred, the objects were visible through the Astrodome on top of the aircraft. A short time later, the objects moved closer and the crew were able to observe them through the windows on the right side of the transport. Mr X described the UFOs as nine glowing white objects flying in a V formation. Which reminded me a bit of Phoenix Lights. Oh, yeah. The UFOs paced the aircraft for a short time, then moved over the large transport into a position above and to the left of them. This marked the start of an incredible chain of events that would leave the crewmen totally bewildered. At this point, they attempted to send a mayday call for assistance, but discovered that their radio had gone dead, as had their radar. The aircraft then began to lose all electrical power, the pilot attempted to switch auxiliary power, but found that was also out. Mr X said it was as if the plane's entire electrical system had shorted out. The turboprops were still going at this time, but they gradually began to grind to a halt. Mr X theorised that because the engines were receiving no electrical power, the oiler began to congeal in the cold temperatures, causing the failure. Oh, right, yeah. At this point, the big transport should have fallen like a rock. But to the surprise of the crewmen, the aircraft was apparently maintaining a steady altitude and course. Mr X had no idea why the aircraft didn't go down, but it was seen that the UFOs were somehow keeping it airborne. He said, It was a hell of a feeling, flying along with no engines in complete silence. He also stated that the aircraft had no attitude, that is to say, they could not make it go up, down, left or right. So they kind of had no control over it. So it's just on their preset course, just yeah, continuing as it was. Just as it was, and there was nothing they could do about it. He said it was as if someone else was controlling it. 
Then another strange thing occurred. Mr X said that the aircraft suddenly entered a strange haze. He said he thought it was the beginning of a whiteout. He described the haze as being very dry and filled with static electricity. He claimed that if you got close to metal, your body would arc with the metal and that would receive an electric shock. He also stated that he felt, quote-unquote, odd um, the entire time they were in the haze. After about 20 minutes, the haze vanished. The flight continued on for several more minutes, being shadowed by the formation of UFOs the whole time. Suddenly, the electrical power came back on and the crew began restarting the engines one by one. In a short time, they had all systems functioning and everything was back to normal aboard the craft. At almost the same instance, the UFOs departed and the big transport continued on to McMurdo. This is so weird. In all, the aircraft had flown 45 to 50 minutes without the aid of engines and without electrical power. And I would guess, beyond just the, the proof of the people saying this, you've got spare fuel in the fuel tank to show... You're right. ...that um, you weren't using yeah, it. Yeah, we'll get onto that, because there was. Oh, oh. Um, another odd thing was they discovered it seemed that during the 45 to 50 minute period, they covered a distance of 265 nautical miles. As Mr. X stated before, the C-130 was traveling at between 160 to 190 knots per hour. He had no explanation how the aircraft managed to travel 265 miles in less than an hour. Good God. It, it even gets weirder. Upon landing, the entire crew gathered in the cockpit to discuss the experience that they had been through. A short time later, the crewmen filed a report with their superiors and also turned in seven of nine rolls of photographs they had taken of the UFOs. During this time, still another mystery began to unfold. When the ground crew began to check the C-130, they discovered it had too much fuel left on board to have flown from Christchurch to McMurdo. <laughs> wow, wow, yeah, you see, that's the smoking gun. Much of this could be explained by the bizarre fact that the aircraft had flown 265 miles with the engines off, so I think they did some correlation. Yeah, it made it, mathematically it made sense. That is crazy. There's more. The next thing they discovered could not be explained as easily. When they began to unload the equipment from the plane, which by this time had been cordoned off, they discovered much of the material on board weighed less than it should. What? Mr X gave this example. If you had a metal chain that should weigh one pound, it now weighed a half pound. He stated that items made of iron or steel seemed to be the ones most affected by the unexplained weight loss. The equipment made of aluminium or metal alloy didn't seem to have lost any weight. Mr X said they had been carrying two D-18 tractors and one of the crew chiefs on the ground was really squawking, he says. <coughs> he said there was something wrong with the tractors because they didn't weigh enough. Oh, my God. Several weeks later, Mr X got the two rolls of film back that he had saved from the original nine, which I think is quite clever. He didn't yeah. hand all of them over. He related that all the film was fogged, as if it had been exposed to some sort of radiation. He later found out that the seven rolls of film turned over to the Navy were also fogged. Unfortunately. Oh. 
Mr X also stated that he and the other five crew members were questioned on and off for two days by various officers at McMurdo. Because he was not stationed there, he was unaware of the names and ranks of the different officers who interrogated him. The identification was further hampered by the fact that all the officers wore heavy cold-weather clothing over their uniforms. But he basically says he thought they were naval intelligence. During the interrogation, the crewmen were told in very strong terms to keep their mouth shut about what they had seen and photographed. Did Mr X lose any weight? I mean, not as not a facetious question, like, did it only affect metallic things? Uh, it seemed to, but, uh, yeah, there's no... I'm sure oh. if that had been the case, they would have said, yeah, hell of a way to lose weight. I know, you know? There were, many things went through my head. But the, you know, the thing that really goes through my mind, well, two things. One, why? Yep. What were they up to? Yep. But also, it reminds me of these videos that are going around about HM, uh, MH370 at the moment. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, everybody listening, there's two videos. Well, it's one video, but it's from two perspectives that appears to show MH370 surrounded by what you would call spheres that sort of circle it, and then it disappears in a, a blinding flash. Right. And there's all kinds of speculation, and lots of people are coming forward saying why it's real, loads of real technical information. Um, if I were you and wanted to find out more, I would listen to um, Weird Planet, Richard Serrett's show from the first week in November, I think. There's a good show about it there. I won't go into it here because he had a great guest on. But that is similar kind of circling an aircraft, something weird happening to it. Yeah. But why? Why make everything... Why change the molecular density, which is presumably yeah, what yeah. they did? Well, unless it's a, a kind of byproduct, I guess. Yeah. Oh, I sort of want somebody to have looked at the metal. Yes, I did wonder whether the kind of lighter metals, the aluminium and stuff like that, I wondered whether they'd actually weighed them. Do you know what I mean? They may have lost some of their weight, but it's harder to tell, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It was, ju was it just that these big bulkier items, it was easier to see that they'd lost something in some kind of molecular yeah. activity? Well, I'd love to know whether the structure of those pieces had changed. Yeah, yeah. And and did the did the I presume the plane flew again? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I guess he was kind of well. Interestingly, the plane. I don't know if it flew again, but Mister X certainly flew again, and he had another strange UFO encounter. <laughs> I'm beginning to think it's Mister X. <laughs> yeah. His second sighting took place on January the 3rd, 1965. At this time, he was serving as the crew chief aboard a C-130C. The aircraft was only 100 miles from the point of the sighting that he'd had the previous year. He states that there were no other aircraft on radar and presumed they were alone. Suddenly, at 16.45 hours, the aircraft lost all electrical power, also lost radio and secondary generators. Mr X said the crew stood ready to jump. Then out of nowhere, an elongated glowing object passed the transport he described with a hell of a bang. The aircraft then slipped into the wash the object left behind and was buffered around for quite a bit. Mr X described the object as elongated with almost a teardrop shape to it. The object displayed colours that ranged from light gold to light blue and had a vapour trail. He also noticed a bulge or protrusion on the side of the craft. 
The UFO was larger than the C-130C. I've seen pictures of a C-130C. That's a big plane, Ben. It's a huge plane. Yeah, I know it. And the object was going fast enough to create a sonic boom. After about three minutes, the power came back on and they radioed operations and asked them if they had any company. They radioed back that there was no other aircraft in the area, uh, that they had contacted Polar Radar and got the same response, no other aircraft in the area. Hmm. During this second sighting, the crew took seven rolls of film uh, of the objects and and learned later all turned out good, it says. However, the photos were all turned over to the Navy when Mr X was asked if he had any knowledge of sightings made by other military personnel or reports of other UFO sightings in the area. The only thing he was aware of was that the Russians often complained about unknown aircraft buzzing their installation. Of course, no conclusion can be gathered or any questions answered by this case. It may, however, give us one more piece of the puzzle about UFOs and their interest in the military. Interesting little fact there about the object causing a boom. Because um, there's been speculation, some of these, like, the, like for example, the tic-tac object, yeah. um, causing their own or creating their own gravitational fields, which would mean that they wouldn't create a boom. Right. So that almost sort of makes you think, well, it would indicate that it's almost a more conventional... Um, sort of power source perhaps i'm with you on that and i guess you need we need to maybe separate out these two sightings even though it was by the same person do you know what i mean one could have been a military aircraft secret military aircraft that's true because that experience doesn't sound quite as bizarre as the first one i guess in the first one it's really difficult to kind of go well how did the plane travel along for so long without any kind of power, I guess, being dragged along some way by this other object. And the weight loss thing is really bizarre in the first one, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's almost like a sci-fi trope of, like, the effect of a tractor beam Yeah, that it leaves in its wake. But, yeah, that sure is weird. And how long ago did you say this was? I'm sorry, I forgot uh, the date. That was kind of 60s, early 60s. Uh, so Mr. X probably isn't with us anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and did he ever make his name known? No, no. He was all, he, even where he lived was redacted. So uh. in the in the article, he, called, he was called Mr. X of Blacked Out, California. It'd be hilarious if he was called Mr. X of Blacked Out, California. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I well, don't know what to make of that at all. No, I, I don't, it was... I'd kind of thought I was done with UFOs and I thought I was done with the connection um, to the Nazi conspiracy. But there is a connection to Admiral Byrd, who featured in the first, in the conspiracy itself. This was part of, okay, it was a later one after he died, but it wasn't long after he died. It was the mission that he originally set up. You know, and then you have these kind of weird UFO encounters, really strange. I don't mm. think I've heard something quite as bizarre as that from a military story. No, no I haven't. I mean, the closest... There's a piece um, in some of those congressional reports, uh, I think it's connected to the Nimitz case, where there is uh, an object in the water that seems to sort of be transmedia goes in and out of the water right but that is the sort of the closest i've come but if these cases you know are not 
uh, you know, if it's so redacted and people aren't able to talk about it, then that's what's going to happen. And of course, that's um, oh no, that's the navy as well. Yeah, okay. So yeah, either way though, that is. But it's just again, every time we hear these cases, what on earth is the motive? Yeah, what were they looking on? for? Yeah, because yeah. every time you think you have. You know, I think I've mentioned in the past, I've got this sort of... I have a lot of sympathy for those people who say that there is this alien hybridization program. I don't think it's as crazy as it might sound. Again, I sit in the middle, as I always do on this, but if I had to go for a theory, that makes the most sense to me. But mm. what has what has making a tractor yeah, yeah. a few kilos yeah. lighter got to do with that? We must intercept these tractors. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the alien was like, oh, I thought you said tractor beam. Oh, <laughs> it was a that tractor. That makes sense. But what? I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Well, that and chopping up uh, cattle on Texan ranches. Yeah, Again, what's that about? The whole thing doesn't make any sense at all. So where did where was that reported? Is that an official document or is that him giving a, a report to like a that media w- outlet? That was give, him giving an interview to a uh, a UFO publication. Oh, so he actually went as far as speaking to a UFO yeah, publication. Yeah, I guess under the condition that he was um yeah. he was it was redacted. I think that's brave. Yeah. Because it also says um it speaks to what his frame of mind is. If that was like you know, he was talking to uh, I just can't think of what CNN or New York Times or something then it's kind of like, oh, well, maybe the journalist misinterpreted it. But if you put specifically hunt out yeah. a UFO publication, you know what the subject, you know, you you know what you're talking about. I, I, I guess a sceptic would say it's a bit weird that he's had two of these encounters. Do you know what I mean? You know, you almost raise that, go, was it something to do with him rather than the planes? But, you know, I, I'm not saying that rules it out as a as a legitimate story, but it did make me think oh okay that's interesting i mean i think sometimes it is about the person i mean we hear yeah. this yeah we hear this quite a lot um next year i promise i will cover the um there was an abduction that was witnessed by somebody on a car from Perez de Qualia's, um support team right. and like there's something there was something about that individual that they wanted I'll come on to that. But it reminds me of, like, maybe he doesn't know what they wanted because he doesn't know what they need, (laughs) you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At this point in my research, I thought, I've got to move away from UFOs and this conspiracy connection. So I decided to move on to another conspiracy, that of evidence of a long-lost ancient civilization in Antarctica, the only continent on the planet with no indigenous people. Oh, this is my favourite one. So buried deep beneath the ice is pyramids, of... buildings, all sorts. And I came across this story from the UK tabloid newspaper, The Sun, which was published in December 2016. we got to love a tabloid title, don't we? The article was called The Lost City of Antarctica. Shock claims massive ancient civilization lies frozen beneath miles of Antarctic ice and could even be Atlantis. <laughs> could be. <laughs> It says, there could be a hidden city frozen underneath Antarctica, according to shock claims. The huge continent is an icy mass and is currently only inhabited by scientific researchers and penguins, thanks to its freezing temperatures. 
Rumours of a hidden city have been floating about for years, as conspiracy theorists and even some scientists claim the freezing continent is actually the home of the legendary lost city of Atlantis. One scientific theory claims that once upon a time, Antarctica was ice-free and home to an ancient civilization. This theory, called crustal displacement, alleges that movements in the Earth's crust meant that large parts of Antarctica were ice-free 12,000 years ago and people could have lived there. Allegedly, a society could have existed, prehistory, coming to an end with the last ice age which froze over the continent. And this could have been Atlantis, a mythical city founded by people who were half god and half human, which was first mentioned by Greek philosopher Plato in 360 BC. Speculation of the location of the legendary long-lost city is rife, with others believing it to be near the Greek island of Santorini. Very different environment to Antarctica. That's a very different uh, explanation, yeah. Antarctica's secret city was apparently confirmed by an ancient map, which we've talked about on the podcast before, the Piri Reis map, which was compiled in 1513 from military intelligence. It appears to show that the Antarctic coast, hundreds of years before it was discovered, but was denounced by many scholars at the time. However, earlier this year, photos from NASA appeared to reveal traces of a human settlement underneath the ice. Ben, I, I think the words appeared here is doing some heavy lifting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suspected they might. The picture's taken using remote sensing photography for NASA's Operation Icebridge mission to Antarctica show what online sleuths believe could be a city. Oh, online sleuths. Google Earth images also appear to show a pyramid poking out of the tundra, with enthusiasts claiming that this is proof humanity once lived in the area and built a man-made structure. Now, (laughs) Ben, I've seen the pictures. (laughs) (laughs) Now, there is a weird thing about mountains and hills, that they tend to be kind of big at the bottom (laughs) and kind of go to a bit of a peak at the top. That's a good way to describe them, yeah. <laughs> so it's hardly unusual that you might come across a hill or a mountain that might look a bit like a pyramid. A bit pyramidical, yeah, okay. Yeah. And when you look at the photos, you're like, yeah, it's kind of pyramid shape, but, you know. But it's a hill, really. Yeah. Okay. Well, the article goes on. The fascinating discovery comes just weeks after scientists revealed the Earth could be heading for another mini ice age caused by the sun going blank. Conspiracy theorists went wild earlier this year when a video claiming to be from the lost city emerged. It appears to show extensive ancient ruins hidden in the ice and was a video supposedly left behind by a Californian TV crew who'd been missing since 2002. (laughs) It wasn't, though, was it? It's starting like the sound of a movie again, isn't it? Yeah, a lost footage movie. Archaeologist Jonathan Gray claimed that the US government is trying to block the video from being seen because it reveals there is a massive archaeological dig underway two miles beneath the ice. I've seen some of Jonathan Gray's very lengthy videos. They do go on for about five hours, and I haven't watched them all, but I've trailed through. There's some interesting theories there. (laughs) From his work. (laughs) Why does he think they're covering it up? He's well into his conspiracies, Ben. And and from what I've seen, some of them are more outlandish than others and seem to be more... 
a thought project necessarily than a fact project, but maybe that's a bit unfair. If there's any fans of him out there, let us know what you think. It's hard. It, I, you know, it's like, do I really want to watch five hours of this? Because all these YouTube videos tend to be about four or five hours long. So, I mean, I mean I'm tempted to ask a remote viewer. Yeah, that's interesting. But, okay, so... Well, this, so he, he thinks that there really was a civilization. America's covering up. They're the only ones who know. And they're doing digs under the ice. And they're doing digs under the ice, and they won't tell us, and he knows the truth. Got it. So at this point, I'm reading this story thinking, well, at least there's no bloody Nazi bases and UFOs, right? <laughs> oh. But the article goes on to say, that's not the wildest claim, with several online websites claiming that there is a city in Antarctica, and Hitler knew about it, <laughs> making a secret Nazi base. The wild claims state the Nazis claimed an area of Antarctica as German territory and sent an expedition there. Then they allegedly mapped the area and discovered a network of rivers and caves, one of which led to a large geo geothermal lake. A city-sized base was built there called Base 22, or New Berlin, and supposedly was home to not only Nazis, but also the Illuminati. However, things get even weirder, with suggestions that the Germans discovered abandoned alien technology or contacted aliens and used it to make super weapons. <laughs> I think you're going to say soup. <laughs> <laughs> Some people think that the rumour base still exists, with the Germans, aliens and the Illuminati planning to launch a new world order from it. Of course. In October, explorers discovered the remnants of a secret Nazi base hidden deep in the Arctic, just 600 miles from the North Pole. They're bringing the North Pole into it now, Ben. Oh, my God. It's nowhere sacred. I also like the way the Sun article, in typical Sun style, did manage to sign off this story and get a little bit of smut in at the end. You ready for this? They say... Whatever beings may be inhabiting these bases, they'll need to make sure to wrap up warm. With one unlucky an Antarctic explorer revealing this week he is suffering from the painful sounding condition, polar penis. <laughs> I think they used to sell those in the ice cream vans in the 70s. Um, what? I, I assume that just is because of urination in sub-zero temperatures. I, I, I guess, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, in conclusion, Ben, I came into this thinking this idea of Nazi alien alliance in Antarctica, a secret base, and all the drama that happened afterwards was, you know, just a bit of a silly bit of fiction. And I kind of still lean that way. But I was struck by, if it is a fictional conspiracy, how true events and military missions have been woven into it. Even the strange timing of that non-nuclear treaty was like, oh, well done. So you can see why this conspiracy took hold. Yeah, I can. I can. And it does speak to every trope. I mean, like you say, in Indiana Jones, there are Nazis. There are secret yeah. sort of underground things. They're always after, like, something biblical or meaningful. Well, and they wanted to use the Ark of the Covenant as yes, a secret weapon. Exactly. actually, in later, you know, Indiana Jones movies, they did bring aliens into it, didn't they? Yeah, the, the skulls. Yeah, yeah. I mean, out of all of that research, the one that did make me scratch my head was that um, Mr. X is encounter. Yeah, I love that. You know, if, that, if there's any basis in truth on that, that is it's one of the best kind of military at least or pilot based ufo stories i've heard absolutely the most intriguing as well because 
we've heard similar things from civilians, not in aeroplanes, of course, usually in cars. But um, to that, for that to have happened in a military aircraft, yeah, I wonder whether there's a universe where the Russian plane saw what was happening. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, or or maybe had more information of things that were buzzing their base. But if I come back to Antarctica, I think apart from all those little bits that fit into it, I wonder if Antarctica is still a little bit like... This is a weird segue, but you remember when you did that episode on killer plants? I come back to that episode a lot. Uh, We've done various ones on weird expeditions and stuff. And there was something about around that time especially where things were so unexplored, so remote, so different Mm, mm. from everyday life that, you know, not only could you talk about things like huge killer plants eating humans, to people reading or finding out about that, it didn't sound so weird at the time. And I wonder if Antarctica is a little bit like that because it is so an extreme alien environment, you know, with a small a. Um, Mm. And it's something we can't almost get our head round, you know, it's got penguins, it's got ice, you know, it's perfect. Why the thing worked as a story, because there was nowhere for them to go, do you know what I mean? They were so exposed. I wonder if somehow it pulls at those strings that those kind of weird explorer mission stories did way back when, like looking for killer plants. That's not a bad shout, actually, yeah. It's sort of, um, I'm going to call that the Biggles theory. <laughs> <laughs> we need some swashbuckle. Yeah, yeah, we need some Indiana Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Well... I must admit, I I, I was didn't really want to take on that conspiracy theory, but digging into it a bit more, it is really interesting, and the motivations of why it's interesting are interesting if that makes any sense yeah it does yeah 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 no thank you that is great i I mean i think that i i'm sort of perplexed by mr x i'm gonna be scratching my head about that all night yeah yeah and wondering how to aim that technology at my winter meat coat (laughs) yeah yeah definitely as a as a kind of god if we could crack that we'd have the best um slimming system in the world wouldn't we Exactly. It has the terrible side effect that everything tastes like a Big Mac. Yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, if you like what we do, if you could give us a review, like, subscribe, all that kind of stuff would be great. If you really like what we do, go and visit us at patreon.com forward slash tqmpod. Become a Patreon. Actually, over the next few weeks and leading up to Christmas, we might have quite a lot of content going there earlier and maybe some exclusive stuff because we are getting ahead yes. of ourselves so if you're going to join it's probably a good time it makes somebody a lovely christmas present yeah. doesn't it it probably does yeah i've thought about gifting it that's quite yeah nice. yeah gift gift it to your, your wife yeah. and then keep it for yourself yeah we could always record a christmas message for exactly you, if you, want you to. know it's like those um i mean they're very good but you go around someone's house and they go, I got you a Christmas present, and it's a goat. I, it's very good, but it's like a goat for somebody in another country. Right. We are the goat. We're just a very cheaper goat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. I got you a goat last year. Stop moaning about it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, we'll be back next week with more quantum mechanics Uh 
Yes. Come and join us. Yes, uh, I've got more frozen wastelands, but no UFOs. Cool. Uh, I've, I've, I've had it up to here with UFOs. <laughs> All we'll, right. We'll see you next time. See you then. Bye. Bye. the quantum mechanics